Hello and welcome to the NHRA Insider Podcast with Brian Loans. A huge engine failure, it appears, for Erica. The smoke funneling out of the back of the car. Stanfield drives by. This week, we take a deep dive into the world of winning Brainerd, Minnesota. It's going to be awesome. And it's Trip Tatum for the first time in his career. 370 flat, 330 miles an hour. Brian Karate, along with Jason Lee and Eric Gustafson, talk about how they got Wally's in Minnesota. Bobby Bodie's 074, and he blows the body off the car, going through the finish line stripe. Bobby maintains control of the automobile. This is the NHRA Insider. Number 16 is going to take out number one. He left on a, by a day and a half. Both Manson Hines bikes are out, and it is crazy town at Pro Stock Motorcycle. Hey, everybody. Welcome to this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast, coming off a great Lucas Oil Nationals in Brainerd, Minnesota, and coming into a welcome respite, a welcome week off before we head to the Dodge Power Brokers NHRA U.S. Nationals. Um, Our show next week will be U.S. Nationals dominated. A lot of stuff going on for Indy, and a lot of stuff happened in Brainerd. What a weekend we had. Topsy-turvy in so many ways. I hope many of you have had a chance to, if you haven't seen it yet, uh, go check it out. It's the NHRA Insider Live that I did with Tony Pedragon. We had guest Erica Enders as well as Justin Ashley on the show live from the pits in Brainerd. And this is something we're going to continue to do. It's a live streaming type of uh, format. Um, in the same format, in, in a way, the same format here, but we get to kind of be a little bit more free and loosey-goosey with it when we are uh, we are live to the internet. So you can find that on NHRA's Facebook page, YouTube page, um, and it was on NHRA.com. It's archived there as well. Eventually, those live shows will be hitting our Roku channel um, and other of uh, the what we would call AVOD or fast channels that NHRA is involved in. So if you're enjoying those channels, there will be live programming hitting them at some point. I can't say if the Indy one will land on those, but I know the Indy one will definitely be Facebook, YouTube, NHRA.com. Um, it was really fun. Great chat with Erica. Great chat with Justin. And it was a fun Friday afternoon, midday setup to kind of get the ball rolling. And the ball did get rolling on Friday at Brandon. We need to talk about that because uh, it was a very, very wild, weird day uh, to a degree. Qualifying session one kind of came off without a hitch. Uh, beautiful day. Setup runs were great. This is a four qualifying session race. And we talk about, you know, the, the way that it's going to look and play out when we see teams make really strong first qualifying session runs. You think, oh, my goodness, when we get into this evening session and it's even cooler and the track even tightens up a little bit more, uh, they are really going to fly. And this was a situation where um, I think we all had super high expectations about what was going to be available. Now, we have to premise this or preface this whole thing with a couple of points. The Brainerd surface is really phenomenal. It is one of those tracks that can hold on to a lot of horsepower. And even when it warms up a little bit, much like uh, Topeka, Kansas, even when it warms up a little bit, the racetrack itself is a, is a constant rather than a kind of constantly changing variable. We're going to talk about that with Brian Karate, uh, Jason Lee, and Eric Gustafson when they come on the show. So we run that first session. There were some really nice runs made. And we thought to ourselves, okay, baby, we are set up to run tonight. Now, in Brainerd, tonight actually means dusk, and the reason it does is because Brainerd doesn't have lights, and this will factor in in a major way in the story here in a few minutes, but um, of course, we had a a very significant oil down in the funny car session. Early on in that second funny car session, it was an unfortunate turn of events. Blake Alexander uh, stepped on the gas, and that thing just evacuated itself to the point where, you know, they had to start with the hand rags and kind of go through the whole process, and they worked on, I'm going to say the first, let's call it 250-some feet of the racetrack is what, about what they scraped. And what we ended up seeing was cars that were in that same left lane would get to about the end of that 250 feet and smoke the tires. The cars in the right lane were not having those problems. They were, they were absolutely hauling down the right-hand side of the racetrack. So as this kind of plays itself out, and it becomes reasonably obvious that, uh, that their left lane needs more help. It does need more work. There are no lights. The sun is getting darker, or the sun is getting deeper down into the into the sky, headed toward the tree line here. What would need it to happen, and what eventually did happen uh, for the next day, was that there needed to be another pretty significant amount of scraping done, effectively almost the full length of the lane, uh, for another good chunk, I want to say another 20, 30-plus yards needed to be done. 
So at the end of this funny car session, uh, there's a conversation about like what's to be done. And my instinct, my first instinct in my mind was like, hey, let's just start firing singles down this racetrack and let's just get these get these cars run. Well, at the time, we would have had I can't don't quote me directly on the math, but the 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 time of the actual sunset was going to be effectively if you time out how long it would take to make 14 single runs on the right side of the racetrack even factoring in absolutely no damage or extra time to send uh safety safari people out to check the track or whatever was going to put us past the point of actual sunset now obviously there's some really residual light uh to that point but the problem is, if you're going to basically bank on the fact that you're going to have a clean session and have no downtime to run 14 cars down the right side of the racetrack, the second that you run eight of them and then somebody spreads a motor out at the top end, it's over. For the last six that have been sitting there, what do they do? They get bupkis. They get nothing. If the NHRA Safety Safari had spent that evening, spent before the top fuel session, the extra time to scrape that area the session would have never started anyway because it would have never finished. And so the idea of starting the session with having no hope of finishing it made sense to no one. The idea of trying to run the session as is normal with a left lane that needed help made sense to no one because it's objectively unfair to the people that would have been in that lane. There was no way to get around it. That's it. That's what it was. I don't think there was, wasn't a single person on the property that was running and hiding from the fact that there needed to be more time spent over there. There also wasn't a person on the property that is a logical thinking human being that was looking up at the sky thinking, oh, there's plenty of time to get this done. So the decision was made, and we heard if you watch NHRA on, on Fox broadcast on Friday night, um, you heard some of the crew chief comments. Were they disappointed? Absolutely. Were all of us disappointed? Absolutely. The fan in me was dying inside. All I wanted to see was a bunch of th- high 360s just thrown out into the atmosphere from the top fuel category. The crew chiefs, Basically, to a man, said, hey, we get it. Um, the guys that were slated to run in that right lane were more let down than the ones that were slated to run in the left, that's for sure. And, you know, there was definitely a possibility of seeing runs in the 60, let's call it 65 to 67 range. And so, you know, one of the things, there was a story published by somebody who was not even at the racetrack with some quotes in it from a driver that just, I don't know, made my eyes roll in the back of my head. No one was proposing to send these guys down a lane that was unsafe for starters. There was nothing unsafe about the left lane. The left lane was loose. It needed help. It was not unsafe. There was not rotating knives out there. Nobody was in danger of of having some sort of a cataclysmic incident. Any more so than they already are on a great racetrack for starters with these cars. But no, it needed help. It was not going to present a fair playing surface for both sides of the drag strip. So that's it. We all left. I mean, I was kind of hang dog. I know a lot of us where it's like you leave and you just you just let down. You're disappointed. You're 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 placing yourself almost into the same kind of scenario as a fan that was there that night. If I was a fan that was there that night, I would have been let down too. How do you get around that? And so you come back on Saturday and you think, well, it's going to be ninety. And it's going to be this. It's going to be that. We had a great day on Saturday. Place was jamming. Crowd was unbelievable. Performances in the in the temperatures of the day were were great. Uh, Mission Too Fast, Too Tasty was killer. Tasca and and Height run identical three ninety eight side by side with each other. It's decided on Height's reaction time. So Saturday was a, a redemptive day in that the the action on both sides of the track was great. I got there early Saturday morning, went out and actually walked down a racetrack and could see that additional couple dozen, however many yards of scraping done on the left side, well out past 330 feet, and the proof was in the pudding. I watched a lot of sportsman cars go down. That's one thing. I watched a lot of alcohol cars go down. They were They were pounding runs down that left lane. I thought, okay, we're good. Sure enough, we were good. We were good for the rest of the weekend. Um, Sunday, the cloud cover, the cool temperatures, and and we saw really, to me, the first big performance race of the year. When it comes down to just raw performance, run 360s, be a factor, or try to run 70s and pray that the person next to you smokes the tires. And, you know, we had upsets in the first round. Dave Richards wins first round. Uh, first round win in years. Dale Creasy Jr., first round win in years. For 2020 at Indy was his last round win for Creasy. 
So Sunday delivered the goods. Um, we looked at you know great racing and pro stock. There was the big question of of Erica. You know how 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 strong could she keep the the kind of train rolling after Topeka? Had a good day. Unfortunately for her, transmission didn't. If you watch the show, you saw the in car, the thing deadheaded going into high gear, and and that allowed uh, that allowed Dallas to to drive around the outside of her. She was leading him. Um. So yeah, so yeah, we we had a crummy end to Friday night. No way around it. It was not great, not even good. But we left there with no torn up equipment. We left there with no teams feeling as though they were given the short end of the stick. And 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 I shouldn't say that in the top fuel category, in the funny car category, I am sure there were teams that felt that way. And you know, the last part of this I'll say is that people are like, why do you even go to that place if it doesn't have lights? If you are asking that question, you've never been to Brainerd. If you're asking that question, you didn't see how full the grandstands were. If you're asking that question, you have never seen the zoo, the culture of that event. If you're asking that question, you simply um, are out to lunch because it's one of the best events we have on the entire tour, in my opinion. And we got a lot of good ones, but that place looks, feels, typically performs different than anywhere else. The spirit and character that people bring to that place, the local fans, the folks that travel in that have never been there before, unlike anything else on the tour. So, yeah, the place doesn't have lights. And, yeah, we ran into a uh, a crummy situation on Friday night, a situation that is the rarity, ultra rarity these days in, in nitro drag racing. Despite the amount of stuff that does get annihilated, wiped out, blown up on runs, it is super rare to have a situation where the whole thing comes to a grinding halt and we have every man and woman, a child available working on it, and there just simply isn't enough time to get it to where it needs to be. Yes, if the place had lights, they would have worked the extra hour, 45 minutes, whatever it took to get it turned around, we would have run the session. But if they had done it that night, the end result would have been the same, meaning the top fuel session would have never started because it would have never finished. And so the top fuel session never started because it would have never finished. And, you know, it's one thing for us to be sitting here, if you're a fan or you're just a guy on TV, think, well, you know, there's this, this plenty of light out there. It's light enough. I, I, I'm, not, uh, I'm not the person in the seat of that car that has a family and a wife and kids and all the other stuff that is going to go hurtling down into whatever, quote, unquote, enough light is. So... Hey, listen, uh, some people want to throw some rocks at it. That's fine. Uh, was not ideal, was not great, was not even good to a lot of, uh, a lot of ends. But at the, end of the, at the end of the evening, like I said before, we left there with a situation that, at least on the top fuel side of it, was equitable. And in many times in racing, when you are forced into a, into a bad situation, if you're able to come out with an equitable decision, it, it, it's it's the best case out of a bad crummy deal, so that's it. Um, I would continue to rant and rave about the piece that was written about what happened, but it's really not worth my time to talk about it. It's worth less of your time to even bother reading it. But hey, such as such as life, as they say. So the race ends up going into Sunday spectacularly, as I mentioned, high performance race. Uh, we're going to have Jason Lee and Eric Gustafson on. Jason Lee, now the points leader. His first his first NHRA win comes at an ideal time. The road to the championship has begun for ProMod. Three races now remain in that road to the championship. So we're going to talk to he and his car owner, Eric Gustafson, about that. And for Brian Karate, um, the, the Matco Tools top fuel crew chief working with Mark Oswald, Brad Mason, that experienced group, did seemingly what they did last year when they won Topeka. The car this year overall, on the whole, has been better, in my opinion, than it was last year. Winning winning Brainerd, much like winning Topeka, sets them up nicely. Remember last year they won Topeka, the U.S. Nationals, and then came within 62 points of a Top Fuel World Championship. So we're going to talk about being strong at the right time and how they're going to carry that in through the NHRA countdown to the championship, which will begin after the U.S. Nationals. So that's the setup. That's the monologue. That's how we're going to do this show this week. And when we come back, we'll have Brian Karate, crew chief for Antron Brown, on the racetrack, and he will be on the NHRA Insider Podcast. Stay with us. So we are back here with our first guest on the NHRA Insider Podcast, tuning Antron Brown to a victory, working right beside Mark Oswald, Brad Mason, and a very experienced crew. Mr. Brian Karate, how you doing, man? 
I'm good. How are you, Brian? I'm doing really well. And, you know, I think we look at we look at the win on Sunday, and this was a, obviously a weird race. You know, we lose the Friday night session for top fuel cars. Saturday's the hot day. You guys win the mission challenge and then really come out firing on Sunday morning, man. That 68 in the first round got everybody's attention. Yeah, we were we were pushing. We were pushing, I can say, that harder than we had all year. We wanted to make sure that we weren't going to get, let's just say, pimped by uh, – <laughs> Uh, right you know that's happened before so we don't we don't lose sight of that we don't forget no and you can't not out here you can't because like, like you said it, it if it happens once it's uh shame on you if it happens twice kind of shame on me type of situation exactly exactly so you know last year you guys came out and and worked on your whole setup through the year you went to peak then you go on to win indy and you basically make a run that I don't want to say it gets lost in the mix, but you guys only you were a second. You're only 62 points behind Brittany when the whole thing was said and done. So are we seeing the same type of, of maturation of a tune-up or an approach this year than we saw last year with the results in Brainerd? Uh, I think we're a little further ahead this year, even though, I mean, we're a little further ahead in the points, obviously. Yeah. I think we're third. Yep. Um, last year we had some issues – Within the blower department, yeah, that weren't you know they weren't. I, I guess you can just say that we didn't realize that uh, it was going to be that big of an issue. The performance change on the starting line for us. <clears throat> so I think we're a little further along this year. So this year we've just been working on clutch related stuff and application. <clears throat> that that would be it. Yes, I, I think we're in a better position than we were last year, but that doesn't mean anything. We still got to race them. Oh yeah. Yeah, I mean, there's still obviously Indy and, and the whole countdown to go, but what I thought was cool is you said something to Bruno when he talked to you in the starting line at the end of the day about about kind of sticking with sticking with an idea or sticking with a concept or an approach. Can you elaborate a little on that, that this idea of, of having a direction and not abandoning it and how important that is? Well, I mean, every, every, on these field cars, you, you get these runs. It's kind of like the run that Flynn made on race day. Yeah. If you talk to Rob about it, I'm sure he'll tell you, well, we had to do this, put this on, put that on. Well, you'd never know if you didn't do it. Well, they were forced to do it. And it goes out and runs a 65. So that's an eye-opener. Okay, you know, maybe we're lacking in this department on the blower. Or whatever it was that yeah. they changed after they popped it in uh, E1. Uh, anyways, with us, as we go along through this, our you know, our whole careers, we're, we want to test. And we want to test and we want to stick to the program. And it's hard to do because you want performance right now. And you know you can do X, but you know you can be better if you get outside and you stick with it. And, and it's hard to do it, especially when you're out of racing. You don't get to test a lot. Yeah. And we've tested a few times this year on the very thing that we've been working on, and we go to a race and we go back. And that's just the nature of it, because we're right here, right now. This is what we got to do. You know. So with that being said, in the past... We, we might have jumped ship quicker than we had this year. This year, we kind of stuck with it through qualifying. E1, we got bit a few times, pursuing it, going out there smoking the tires at about 1-2. So it, it opens our eyes. And if we didn't stick with the program, we probably wouldn't be where we're at right now. Yeah, and it's great. It's discipline, right? I mean, and to me, that discipline, the yeah. discipline and that discipline is also, and it's a weird word to use in drag racing, but it's maturity, which uh, I think all of us lack into some degree in this sport. But it's, it's, I guess, having the the, the maturity to look past what may be, uh, you're looking past the short term for the long term, which in which is a tough thing to do in anything. But in this sport, where you need to be that good in the short term, it's almost it's almost reverse psychology. Yeah, well, you know, there's a lot of pressures in this business. You got the pressure of uh, your owner. You got the pressure yeah. of the guys on the team. Even though nobody will say it, yeah. you know, everybody wants to win. They all want to win. They hang their heads when they don't do well, and you feel that. So you make decisions sometimes based on that. And some people, I'm a softie. You know, that's me. I want the best for my guys. I'll do whatever I can I'll, to win for them. But sometimes that'll be go backwards a few steps. Yeah. You know, because I know it's safe and maybe we get it done. You know, and plus having Antron, you know, not, you know, not nothing against Don. Don, let me do whatever I want him to do. But there's pressures out there on, in, you know, your sponsorship. Nobody knows what's going on inside the sponsorship yeah. when you're looking from the outside in, unless you're inside. You know, so there could be, we got to perform, we got to perform. But we don't have that. Maco, uh, Toyota, 
Lucas, they're all about us being the best. So that helps, you know, helps us stick to the plan. Let's just say. Yeah, I, mean, I think it's great. And and to your to your point, it's it's like going from it's like going from being a, a high level executive in a large corporation to working for and I use this term loving like a mom and pop. I, I have to I have to imagine that the openness of the relationship that that you guys have with Antron is to a degree different than you had with Don. And that's not taking a shot at Don, but that was I mean, that yeah. was a freaking monster of an operation there, right? Well, yeah, you're pitted against all the people in the shop, too. Yeah. You know? So you had to perform. No, that's a great point. And it's a, just yeah. a completely different completely different dynamic. And, you know, when we talk about the dynamics of the top fuel category this year, um, you guys have been hunting around up there, the, the top part of the points for most of the season. Consistency, as you said, a couple of early losses, but that's, that's to be expected throughout any sort of the year. But – what is it going to be this year through this countdown? Is it going to be the team that has the best inventory? Is it going to be the team that has the most experience? What is going to be the the capstone to actually winning the top field championship over this countdown in 2023? Consistency. Yeah. Driver consistency right down to the race car. You've seen how close it was in Topeka. Yeah. Our, you know, racing second or third round against Justin. Uh, you know, we had the race car, but – you know, Justin, he's like out of this world. Yeah. When it comes to leaving. But, you know, that's going to be what wins it. You know, who's the most consistent? Period. I think that's what's going to take it this year. You know, and timing is right also, too. Like we had some runs there, like Stevie screwed up against us uh, on E2 and let us get by one. Give us another round to make some more, you know, make another hit at our program to see you know, make it better. Yeah, and, and, and does that, and obviously the weather didn't translate, but how much have you liked, disliked, or otherwise the mission program this year? From a fan perspective, from a from a guy who has to yell and scream about this stuff perspective, I've enjoyed how it's changed the dynamic on Saturdays. What have you kind of taken away from it, if anything? Uh, well, the biggest thing is, to me, I like the fact that mission's out here, for yeah. sure. I'm a racer. I want to win. <laughs> right. So your mindset changes immediately. So when we went down the track on in Brainerd on Q1, we went to 78, and then we lost the night run. It's like, ah, but at least we went down the first run. You know, it's like a three-run event instead of a four-run event at that point. Yes. And when you can do that, make that first run, and you're solid, and you feel good, and you're qualified, not that we weren't going to be with a 14-car show, it makes you think a little differently when you race you know i could race and not worry about qualifying or advancing my position because i'm like you know number 16 yeah and that would be the only thing about it because it's a race within a race you know so it changes your thoughts in qualifying some people can put it aside me the guys want to win i keep hearing that's 10 grand 10 grand and that's the guy <laughs> right right you know well, you know, I think the other thing that's interesting is, is, as you mentioned, the Friday night debacle that happened, and and I want your honest take on it because, you know, I'm looking at it, me and Tony are watching the funny car session, and it's clear that the, 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 the inch that those cars in the left lane, once they got past the area that was scraped, it was over. They all smoked the tires in the exact same spot. To me, it was the spot they stopped scraping. I understand the time constraints. I understand if they had ended up scraping as much as they did for Saturday morning, we probably would have run out of time anyway. But yeah. how much did it jack up? I mean, I guess from what you just said, not much. But I guess I should reframe the question into being, how quick would it have been Friday night, and would it have had that much of a dynamic effect on the order of where people landed for eliminations on Sunday, in your opinion? I, I think the Friday night run would have, made the, would have changed the race on Sunday because – People would have thrown a lot more at it, and yeah. then the conditions were very similar on Sunday morning. And you would have seen a lot faster runs. You would have seen more 60s, you know. And I think it would have changed it. Now, how it affected our change, hopefully we would have came out on the top side. But, yeah, um, but yeah, for sure. Qualifying is everything. I mean, look at Justin. Justin qualified number one <clears throat> at a bye, E2. Yeah. Uh, that, that. That's like you're not racing anybody. You know, he won. He was racing somebody. 
you know. Yep. Honestly, there's a car next to them, and they ran good. They kept them honest. And but second round, I mean, you're into the semis. Almost, it's. I'm not going to say it's an advantage, but it could be a disadvantage because you're really not racing anybody, so you may not run. Like you really got to have a plan, stick to it. We're going to go out here and we're going to run this thing and make a good run, not smoke the tires, so we can get ready for E3. You know, let's not see how much we can get. Let's just make sure we can make a better run than we did E1. Yeah, and, and the emotional, I mean, it's, I can't speak for being in the situation because I've never been there, but I'd have to imagine, like, maintaining your intensity, knowing there's going to be nobody in the other lane is also kind of an odd thing, if not for the driver, even for the crew. Well, yeah, yeah, he can just leave, you know, and he does a good job, but still, yeah. yep. you're not racing anybody. So, different day, different, so. As a, as a racer, I know what my opinion is, and my, and my opinion is if we had – and listen, I don't, I don't, I didn't chart the moon or the sun. I didn't know what the exact moment of sunset was. In my mind, I thought we should be firing shots down the right lane here on Friday night. Like I, I know we had fourteen top fuel cars there. Average of what about two minutes a run if everything's clean. Part of me was thinking, hey, let's just run these things as singles. What was your you thought? Got it done. I think it stayed light. I think you, the sun was over those trees behind us when you're looking back from the starting line. Yeah, and you're like, God, that thing's so close to going. But as soon as it dropped below kind of just stayed it was like you could see yeah i thought for sure when we got back to the pit area we could have ran it out if we did do something like that you know but if it, it, you know it would take and, i mean in the honest answer too it would take one car to it would take one car to spread a motor out or something and then everybody's up the creek so i understand that i'm angle sure as that's well. what they were thinking but you know i think the best thing to do is we have lighting there you know of course what a, what a facility not to have lighting and they may have a like time constraint problem, I don't know. But even if you had temporary lighting, so that never happens again. I'm sure they can fix it going forward after this. Agree, agree. Because that, like you said, fans would really want to see that. Oh. I, I would be upset if I came and I missed the early run because yeah. I wanted the late run, had to work, and here I get there and they can't run the top fuel cars because of an oil down. And it would have been the session of the year. Let's be honest. I mean that would have that would have been, been, been the session of the freaking year. Yeah, that 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 racetrack is no joke when it gets down to like ninety degrees. Yeah, I mean we saw we saw it on Sunday morning. I think we came off ninety five, ninety six degrees, whatever it was, first round of track yeah, temperature. We it was just, in. Yeah, you know we were it wasn't a problem at all. Not a slip, not a nothing. Like usually, like ooh, no. It was like yeah, you can do more. So before I let you go, uh, U.S. Nationals, you guys come in as the as the defending race winner. Um, it is the you know the the, the the grind five qualifying sessions. You're going to have the mission deal worked in there as well. Um, are you one of the guys that looks really forward to Indy? I've heard this from I've heard this from all angles. I've heard some guys kind of kind of like groan a little bit when we talk about the U.S. Nationals. I've heard some guys that it's like their favorite place to be of the year. Where does it fall for you? Uh, it's my favorite. Yeah, I love it. Long event. You know, five runs, uh, it's that's great. You know, plus we're close to home. A lot of fan, uh, a lot of friends that come to this race. So I love this event. We won a few times, and uh, nothing like Indy. Period. Agree. No, it's my absolute favorite thing in the world too. I'm, uh, I love doing the sportsman stuff early in the weekend. Yeah, I mean, it's five hundred, six hundred cars or whatever the number is. It's crazy. You know, there's always something going on. They got the pro mod. They got everything. And I love to watch pro mod. Oh yeah, you know, and so. Manny Bujangle will be back in his own car, which is a good thing. Manny will be back in the uh, the Marv Mobile that Tutoro was driving for him last weekend. Yes, yes, yes. I talked to him. He said he'll be there. Um, that's good. Good to see him out there. Yeah, absolutely. And at the final final thing I'll say is this, and it relates to Manny because after Manny had spent a little time this season, I think it was after Gainesville. The one thing I talked to him about, he said, "You know what? I never actually thought about was he said I followed Antron around the whole weekend." And he said, driving the race car is about 1% of that guy's job. It's like the guy is everywhere <laughs> doing every damn thing. Do you yeah. ever look Do you ever look at him and wonder where the energy comes from? Because that guy is he is full throttle nonstop all the time. If he didn't have an interview at the racetrack today at 11, he'd be home sleeping. I know that for sure. <laughs> when we got home, because we, we're back in Indian. When we got home, he's like, I want to sleep for a whole day. And I go, and I can see why. Yeah. I can see why. Angel's getting her license in the A fuel car. Yeah. So he's been helping her. He's been bouncing around. So, but, yeah, I don't wonder. I often wonder. I'm like, I'm, I'm glad you're in shape, buddy. 
<laughs> well, Brian, congratulations on the win to you and the whole team at Brainerd. Uh, good luck here at the U.S. Nationals coming up, and I hope you can take a deep breath. I know you got your hands in a million things outside of the racetrack, so take some time off this week before you get geared up for the U.S. Nationals. I'm going to be off the track tomorrow with uh, Lance, hanging out with my buddy, my uh, my mentor. He's the guy that probably he taught me everything, to be honest with you, about racing. Thousands and thousands of miles of riding down the road with Lance. So That's he's going to cool. be up and running Foley's car, so I'm just going to sit there because he just needs somebody to talk to. I'm in that position, and I get it. Well, that's you know. that's even more awesome. I mean, uh, yeah. Lance is uh, Lance Larson is a spectacular guy. Uh, what a life he's had in this sport. And I got to know him years ago when I was doing the IHRA stuff, and he was working with Clover on Milliken's car. And it, uh, yeah, what a dude. And I, I did not realize you guys went back that far. So that's pretty spectacular. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, he's like my. Well, I'm not gonna say my dad, but <laughs> he could be. Right. He is 20 years old to the day. <laughs> All right, Brian. I Thank appreciate you, man. it. Appreciate it, Brian, and I will see you at the U.S. Nationals. All right. See ya. When we Bye. come back, we'll have Jason Lee and Eric Gustafson on. Stay with us. All right. We are back here in the NHRA Insider Podcast after a great conversation with Brian Karate. I'm joined by Eric Gustafson and Jason Lee, two guys who, uh, well, had a pretty good weekend for themselves in Brainerd, Minnesota. Jason behind the wheel of the, the Coast Packing Company Viva Chevrolet Camaro, and Eric with the headset on blowing kisses into his cell phone. I'm not sure which guy was having too much more fun. <laughs> you, you saw that <laughs> oh i saw that we see all from the booth man we see all but you know jason i kind of want to start with you man because um you know this season for you has been uh, to me been pretty fantastic you come into the, the pro mod playoff basically in in fourth place you leave brainerd leading the points now talk to me about the the kind of nature of this season for you as a as a guy who's been involved in drag racing for a really long time where does this kind of land on your spectrum of experience um this is i mean it's to be honest at this level it's 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 pretty new and by the level i mean you know just quarter mile racing in yeah. pro mod format um you know figuring out how to how to make a combination live for the full duration of the quarter mile <laughs> obviously <laughs> you know trying to figure out how to make it you know run with the guys that have been doing it for a long time yeah. so i mean that's just a, an additional challenge that uh, um we had you know, pretty, pretty reasonable expectations, you know, going into this year, we thought that, uh, just, just fight our way, you know, crawl our way up and try to get into the top 10 and just give ourselves an opportunity for a run at the championship is kind of what the goal was. You know, we did, we didn't kind of know how it would all work out. It's, uh, I would say it's gone slightly better than expected. Um, but, uh, you know, obviously we've always got high expectations of our team and we expect to win. Yeah, and and Eric, what makes this a good combination? Meaning, meaning you guys all working together. Why is why is Jason the right guy to have in the race car? Talk about your relationship with him. I mean, we've known each other for you know fifteen years now. Started working together, racing wise. You know, about thirteen years into that friendship. I think you know, for Jason and I, we're we're very similar in a lot of ways that we think. Which sometimes that's not the best combination for for. <laughs> for but you know the one thing we go back to is we're both aligned that we want to be the best at what we do. We're, we're always honest with each other. We respect each other very much, which is important in any friendship relationship, working relationship. And, you know, there's, there's nothing we can't say to each other. That's going to offend each other. Yeah. It's almost like, almost like a big brother, little brother relationship. And Jay likes to pick on me like the little brother. And I like to annoy him like the little brother. So <laughs> it's kind of fun. To- no, that's good. Absolutely. It's good, and and honestly, to me that that the 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 frankness that you have to have, you brought that up as a point. And and Jason, I want to talk to you about this because of the fact that you know you've been in this sport on a, on so many different levels, like obviously driving, tuning, working with so many different people. Your accumulated experience coming into this season has had to have been really good for the highs and lows of what a year like this can bring, right? Have you, let's say, Jason Lee ten years ago? Is he is he uh, less equipped to deal with the highs and lows of a of an NHRA Pro Mod season than the guy that's in the car today. Um, yeah, I mean, I would say you know probably so. Obviously, every year brings more experience and more yeah. comfort to what you do. Um, you know, the the biggest the, the biggest similarity that that most people won't understand that that I equate this this Pro Mod um, this NHRA version of Pro Mod to is. You know, back in my NMRA drag radial days, yeah. you know, you were you were kind of handcuffed with cubic inch, power adder, 
Um, you know, you could only run certain pieces of equipment and, and then basically they just put you on this, you know, DOT approved street tire with very, very limited track prep and made the best tuner slash driver <laughs> win, you know, and, uh, and that's kind of, you know, a lot of those same principles that, uh, that I did way back then are applying today. You know, you don't have all the tools you necessarily have in like an outlaw format, mm -hmm. Um, so you, you know, you, you like your torque management features and things like that, your dump valves, you know, things that, you know, give you the ability to make your car quicker all are taken away from you in NHRA. So you have to kind of go back to the old school mentality of thinking on how am I going to get this thing to be able to run, you know, with my hands tied behind my back and a blindfold on, you know, <laughs> that's a great way to put it. <laughs> yep. And you know, J Jason, uh, rather, um, Eric, this is more a question for you, I think, because to me, on any any level of this sport, at, especially at a professional level, you know, everything kind of goes top down. Like your your philosophy, your approach, the way that you're gonna do things, kind of to me is a top down deal. And so, you know, Stevie Fast uh, famously dubbed you guys the the uh, what princes of parody this year. You guys are the Robin Hoods that came out. Talk to me a little bit about that because you, you made some waves. This team made some waves in the category, ran the car as hard as it would go, and at a time period where there were whispers of people saying that, well, maybe this is not the right time to do this. Is that because of just who you two guys are and that's how you race? Talk to me about that. I'll let Jason first. Yeah, so, yeah, so I mean, basically, I mean, what I'll say to that is, is um, yeah, no, absolutely. We give, we give 110% every every single pass we make i mean and we're not even really too concerned with the competition we're we're concerned about the track the sure. surface the air we're basically racing against that track so whatever that track has to offer we're trying to maximize our combination a hundred percent to it and you know and when you talk about the parody and things of that nature i mean stevie's not wrong i mean obviously yeah. we did some things that brought some attention to the combination and as a result got hit pretty hard by the rules and and probably a little too hard i mean brainerd kind of showed that yeah um you know we just got a lot of luck on our side and and we'll take luck any day of the week but you know i, I always go back to the pass and the passes in chicago where the screw the screw and the pro charger car you know i'm i'm a math guy you know i, I sure. break down the combos i see where everything is and uh and and first and foremost I, you know just so we're clear i want parity Oh yeah, absolutely. Lot, I get lot, that. Yeah, a lot of people say that, but at the end of the day, like if you have parity, you're going to get 25, 30 cars. Yes. If you have a certain combination, whether it's a pro charger, a screw blower, a roots blower, if somebody's running away with the class because it's not even, you're going to lose cars because certain people can't afford to change their combination or just simply don't want to run another combination. Right. So it's very, very important to have the rules you know, very even and not only because, you know, then at the end you truly knew who the best racer was. So I'm not opposed to getting rules when we're outperforming everybody. And it's very clear that something needs to be done. But what I will say to that, and I want, and I, and I'll say it to I'm blue in the faces and we're seeing it now. And I, and I said it, but nobody listened to it was in Chicago, you know, Belushi ran the same exact pass as me, but nobody knew it. When I went five sixty eight and everybody freaked out, it was with a nine thirty six it was with a it was with a nine thirty seven sixty foot. He went a seventy one at the same race but with a nine sixty one sixty foot. And the only reason they went nine sixty one and I, and I'm not speaking for Brad, but they spun the pass before that in qualifying. Calm so you slow down bit. your yeah. yeah, you calm it down to get down the track. So Basically, his split time from the 330 to the 660, his split time from the 60 to the 1,000, his split time from the 1,000 to the quarter was better than my 68 hit. So since then, the Pro Charge combinations have got weight. They've, yeah. got, they've got weight taken off. They've got more rear gear. They've got, they've got pulley. They've got power. And we were dead even in Chicago. We just outperformed them because we put the perfect pass together. So... You know, part of drag racing is understanding that, you know, and as a tuner, that's the things we look at every single pass, every single race out. So I don't want to come across as crying, whining about it. What I do want to say, and the reason I keep saying it, 
is it's very important to have parity because what did we have at the last race? Maybe three Pro Charger cars when we had what? Probably six or seven at the start of the year. Well, look, and, and, so, your, and your point your point was is, has been illustrated time and time again. I mean, over the course of the last ten years, you know, uh, we went right. we went from a we went from a class that was basically if you didn't have a turbocharged car, don't bother coming to a That's class right. to a class now where you you know you can't you can't you can't throw a rock and hit one anymore, and so yeah, that, and so you yep. can't and it takes way longer to fix it than it does to wreck it, right? That's right. And and what what a lot of people don't understand is if you simply would have just looked at split times back in Chicago, you would have seen that. The roots needed a little something. The screw needed absolutely nothing. And we were damn near dead even to be able to go into the chase and and make this happen. Now, some people will argue, well, the Pro Charger car does better in bad weather. N- not under these rules. In outlaw trim, maybe. But in this trim, like, I can't speed the blower up to make up for the yeah. bad air. This weekend, I couldn't even get to my gear changes because <laughs> the air was so bad. I had to lower my shift points. Well, then, you know, then my then my blower speed's even even it's lower. Worse. So so now I'm down 300 horsepower. You know, basically, I'm racing, be, you know, because of the rules, the way they're written. I'm racing at 5,500 foot of air. Everybody else is racing at 3,500 foot of air. You know, because I can't even get my blower spinning because I can't get to you know to the RPM yeah. that I'm allowed. Yeah, with and the I gearing can't change that's the rear gear, yeah. and I can't change the blower. I can't change anything. So, you know, it's just people have to have a better understanding of these very very strict rules, and and once they get an understanding of that and get it, you know, I guess, you know, even to the T's, I think it'll be probably the best most competitive class on earth. Right now, I think it's a very, you know, challenging environment. You know, NHRA, you know, it races on several different tracks, several different environments, different air, you know. But at the end of the day, when air is good, typically for every combination, it's good. But when the air is bad, it's bad for every combination. No particular no particular combination has an advantage unless you start ta- bringing the nitrous cars into the equation. Yeah, well, and, and, and even that is like you need the incredible, you need incredible amounts of humidity to really start to make that, right? Exactly, yeah, that's yeah. right. You can't base you can't yeah. base whether somebody has an advantage off of one. Like if there was five of them running, then obviously yeah. it'd be easy to get the rules even, you know? So, but yeah, it, you know, we all the racers have talked about all this stuff and, and, and to be clear, none of this is a racer problem. Like I I don't, I don't, I, I I definitely don't blame Justin Bond from changing to a pro charger to a screw because that's that's the advantage in the rules. He's doing, he's following the rule book. You know, it's not his fault. It's not any of the racers fault. You know, it's just, it's the, you know, whoever, you know, is behind all of the rules needs to needs to just take a better look at the splits not the end result don't look at the yeah. nd2 the split times you hand them out for god's sakes to every racer every round <laughs> right. all we got to do is look at the sheet of paper yeah yeah so that's you know that's that's what i would say you know kind of about the, you know the rules and and kind of you know and, and again I don't have a vote. We're new to this you know yeah. this is you know we're just trying to find our way but I've raced so many different platforms, so many different organizations. I know what it takes to make them successful. And NHRA has, has made leaps and bounds strides because the car counts are going up. Everything's going in a really good direction. I mean, Debbie and Kelly have done an excellent job. I mean, it, it just, we really want to be a part of this going forward. But I do think it's critical. I, we also don't want to spend a bunch of money getting involved in this going forward. If something like like if everything yeah. falls on deaf ears, you know what I'm well, saying? Yeah. Like, and look, I think to me, a few years ago, you know, it was like there was like this two month stretch where it was like this is great news. Like they said, okay, you know, we're basically going to open this category up to anybody who wants to come, and it's like, wow, that yeah. is fantastic. And then it's like, yeah. oh, by the way, here's like twenty five thousand dollars worth of things you got to do to the chassis of your car, and everyone's like, what, what are you doing? What are you doing here? Right. And right. you know, and so to me, in your, in your, I. I I agree with everything you're saying. It's it's a logical point to be made, and I, I definitely do not want to see what is absolutely positive momentum, the likes of which we haven't seen in a half decade in this class, go to the, the sideline. Now, one thing I don't know, and I'm asking this honestly, and I don't even know if you know this or, or either of you and I, I can ask, but 
are the rules locked until the end of the year now? Was there is there anything in the book or anything in the procedure manual that says once we get to this road to the championship, we're not changing anything? Do you know that or no? And I'm not putting I, you on the I, spot. I, yeah, I do. it's the first year for this championship, so I do not know the answer to that. I've reached out to a couple people to find out yeah. just to get some direction because, you know, we still have, you know, one potential power adder change in our sure. back pocket as well. You know, so, like, if they're going to make a change to the rules, great, and th- then they'll be fair. If if they don't make a change to the rules, then we got to do what we got to do. What we got to do to to give us the best opportunity to win. And I'm not saying we will do it, but we have to at least explore our options because, like, we're not just going to give up now. We've we've climbed yeah. all the way to the top. We're not just going to you know jump off the hill. No, that makes that makes sense. And and Eric, I think a lot of. A lot of the stuff I heard coming out of Jason's mouth is the type of stuff that I'd probably hear coming out of your mouth too. People need to know that you're a you know you're a former champion in the world of uh, NMCA Pro Mod Racing. You're not simply out here to get a tan. Um, you know you're out here as an active participant in this whole thing as well. So I'm guessing your sentiments echo his. Absolutely. I mean, you know, from a parity standpoint, I've had conversations with Lonnie in the past, and I had the same conversation with him this weekend when he when I got to see him in the staging lanes, and I said, look, you know. I've been the first to advocate for parity, you know, going back to NMCA when he was involved with the rules and I thought our combination had a big advantage and, you know, and I didn't want to shoot myself in the foot, but you've got, you've got to get rules to where people feel like they have the opportunity. They've got the money and the equipment, but if they don't feel they have a chance, they're just going to stay home and do something else, especially in the summertime, go to the lake, go to the beach, family, go golfing, whatever it may be. So, You've got to feel like you have an opportunity to at least be in the fight. And if you don't, it's just discouraging and it, and it just drives people away when we need to, we need to be building up the racing base and the fan base for the sport. Yeah. And there's so many things fighting against us, whether it's legislation or other politicians and dumb things out there that don't understand anything about what we do and don't appreciate it. I love seeing the kids out there this weekend and coming up to the car and getting pictures and, watching kids and you know with their with their parents and their dad taking pictures after we won and i mean it reminded me of my childhood i grew up 20 minutes away from pomona my dad and i used to go to every single nhra race as as a kid he used to race my grandpa raced we've got to keep building that base so parity is an important part making adjustments without overreacting looking at the data jason and i are very aligned on that we're very data driven i do the same thing in my business you know, I use analogies in racing and business, and they cross over in what we do about continuous improvement and, and always getting better. You know, I don't wake up every day. I want to do a crappier job today at work <laughs> and make less money and treat my employees like, you know what, you know, right. it's like racing. Gee, I want to come to the racetrack and go slower today, and, and, and let's not win a race. Let's just show up yeah. and have, you know, and not do the best we can. I mean, it just it makes absolutely no sense. It's lunacy to me. So we're going to do what it takes to win. It would just be nice to see rules that continue to drive parity. When we overreact, let's let's go ahead and, and throttle back, you know, and, and yeah. get back on track. I mean, we were four to five numbers easy behind all weekend long, and there was no way to close that gap. You know, maybe you could shave it down to three to four best, but we were getting out the form to board and Mason can collaborate it or, or tell me I'm crazy, but yeah, yeah, I mean, we- I mean, all, all we did about it was burn pistons. <laughs> yeah, there was a lot of piston smoke out there, yeah, man. A lot yeah, of it. Yeah, I mean, you, you, I mean, you look at, and I don't, I don't want to speak for Thorn. You know, yeah, he heard, he heard himself. You know, he heard their, their their combination was heard a couple times. Ours was. I mean, obviously, we're trying to, trying to, you know, close that gap. And and fortunately for us, you know, those guys just made some mistakes this weekend. And you know, I I, I had a. Uh, you know, I won't get into the details of the conversation I had with Belushi, but one of the things I told him was, you know, it's very easy to have a good light when you're slow. Oh, yeah. You know, when you're slow, you're like, that's that's all I got left. I got to tree this guy. Well, when you're fast, you know, sometimes you get that mentality where don't red light, like all I got to be is 050 and yeah. I got this guy covered. And sometimes when you're trying to go 50, you go 100. You know what I mean? Yeah. So. It's just it's 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 trying to be mentally strong in those situations is very difficult to do, but it's a hell of a lot easier to have a good light when you're slow. I mean, you know, I think I was oh thirty maybe in the first round. I had a, a, a different engine in the in the car. It reacted a little slower. I said, no big deal. I'm gonna do the same thing. I'm just gonna speed it up in the tune up. I think I was double oh four the next time. Yes, you were. But those 
those are chances that you you don't normally take when you're the fastest car. But when you're a slow car, you you got to take those chances. So we were taking chances. We were doing things to try to you know make up ground and bridge gaps on the tree because we couldn't do it on the track. You know, in that air, in that environment, under this rule set. So, like I said it in every interview I've been in. Uh, you know, we we were the top performing car at several races and did not win them. And, you know, and it was just bad luck, you know, that, you know, parts breakage and things happening that caused it, you know, $150 map sensors going bad in Norwalk and just all yeah. the stupid crap that happens. And then we're, you know, we're, we're just getting our butts kicked up and down the racetrack this weekend and we come out with a win, you know? <laughs> so it's like, you know, I feel like we were just in a, in a marathon and, you know, and just, it just, it was, it was miserable, but yet super rewarding in the end so i guess if i had to draw it up i, I maybe i need to take this 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 way the rest of the year because i mean if it ends in a w we'll do it does the so, does the driver tuner element add to like a, a level of paranoia it may be in a good way or a bad way and I, and I mean that in the sense of like you know that this thing's set up kind of on the ragged edge at the top end of the racetrack. You know that there may be, you know, yes. maybe some pistons going up in smoke versus a guy, yep. and I'm not taking anything away from a guy who drives a car and has no input on the tune-up. He just needs to get it to the finish line. But you actually know what's going on inside the motor. So does that, that add a, does that add a level of, of paranoia there? Yeah, I mean, it's also comfort because you know, you know, you kind of know, okay, if I'm going to have a problem, I know where it's going to be at. <laughs> you know, yeah. this is this is where I'm trying to pick up a little bit of ET, maybe in the middle of the track, maybe yeah. at the end of the track, you know. And uh, I think in the in the semis, you know, I, I tried to pick up some ET at the end of the track. And, and basically that's where, you know, I got a piston. And, you know, in, and to be honest, it was, you know, three-tenths of a degree different and, you know, a couple percent fuel, you know, yeah. that – that basically, I mean, that's how far on the edge we run. When I put when I put three tenths of a degree in it, that's when I burnt the hole. You Jeez. know, but all all seven of the other ones look perfect. You know, but it's but it's you know when when you read those plugs every every single hit, I, I you know I'd be hard pressed to find somebody running plugs that'll come out looking hotter than ours because we run it to the to the max edge every single hit. We just we just do, and that's the way we race and. And at the end of the day, we're doing it to to make sure that, that that we're giving them every single opportunity to either put a bunch of weight on us or put a bunch of weight on somebody else. But we, if you look at us, you're going to know this is the potential of the combination. Because again, at the end of the day, we want parity. You know, I yeah. tune cars for a living. Yep. The more cars that come, the, the more customers I potentially have. You know. Yeah, absolutely. So, Eric. And, and, you know, I want your impressions, Eric, on on the the race day itself. Obviously, you've been you've been tightly communicating with the team every single race of this year. Your business schedule has kept you away from the racetrack, but you were at Brainerd. You, you're in there. You said, "Hey, listen, I was even helping out." So I want to know. I want to kind of get your firsthand impression of the intensity of 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 what Sunday was, not only for your team but kind of the whole environment. Yeah, I mean, I think not knowing what to expect knowing it from a fans level perspective from the outside looking in and now being on the inside and obviously having done it in different environments, but NHRA, I mean, is, there's really not anything else like it out there in terms of fan participation and the amount of people coming and going. It, it certainly adds an exciting element to it. Yeah. If anything, I think it feeds you more, you know, I feed off others in a competitive environment. I think you'll be hard pressed to find two more competitive guys between Jason and I. I mean, we're sitting there playing Tiger Woods golf in the off time, trying to wear each other out and beat each other. <laughs> like that's how, that's how stupidly competitive we can be with each other, but it also helps to push each other to be better. Um, I, I would say that once you really start getting into the thick of it, it's hard, it's hard not to, you know, want to use all that competitive nature to, to extract everything out of it. And normally I stay out of the way, and, and I'm all, it's also hard for me not to be involved in things, especially now that I'm not driving right now. Yeah. It's kind of all unfold. I'm a fixer. I'm a doer. I can't just stand there and not do something. Jay, Jay may argue differently sometimes. He says, <laughs> you might. You know, the, the reality is when, when, when you're trying to win something and we're on the edge of being able to do something special like this and actually win the championship, we're going to do everything we can and pull out every stop. I, 
I was telling somebody back in the old streetcar supernational days, I think when, when, when you were there with Chad yep. doing some amazing stuff on the live feed, I mean, I was flying F1X blowers in from all over the country. I had a guy had one of the kids on, you know, coming from Maryland. We ended up winning the race, but it was like, whatever we got to do to, to win this damn race. So, you know, I, it's just an incredible feeling to be a part of something this special with a great group of guys and a great group of competitors and putting on a great show for the fans. I mean, because that's what they're for, right? I mean, obviously yes. to win ourselves, but it's because the fans drive us to be better. When we had people honking at us, they – you know, we, we had guys stopping us saying, we knew you were going to win along the way back on the return road. And it's just rewarding to hear people appreciating what you do. And and you hope that maybe someday one of those people in the crowd can be just yeah. like us and keep this sport going forward for the next generation. So last question for both of you guys. It'll be the same question. I'll, I'll start with you, Jason. And that is, as a guy who has been a champion in, in multiple forms of this sport, you got three races ahead of you. How much is that past experience of being in tight races, of being in championship moments, of being in these high intensity situations, going to pay off. Um, yeah, I, I think that uh, I've been kind of on all all sides of it. I've been, you know, back, you know, behind in points, and then you, you know, with one or two races left, you're trying to catch the leader. I've been in the lead in points, you know, going into the final races, which, to be honest, is probably the hardest place to be. <laughs> right. I mean. You know, Stevie's talked about that quite a bit, you know, and, you know, and it's just when you got everybody, you know, hunting for you, it's, it, it just makes it tougher to win and adds the pressure, you know, adds pressure to the situation. But at the end of the day, if you keep the mindset that we, that we typically have and the way that I go into it is every tap, every path is a test pass and you're just racing against the track. I mean, that other, it doesn't really matter who's in the other lane. All you're trying to do is, you're trying to, you know, if you, if you can make that car, you know, go down that track at 100% maximization based on what the surface is offering, you've done your job, and chances are you're probably going to beat the car in the next lane because he's got to race it at 100% as well. Otherwise, he's going to be behind you. Makes sense. How about you, Eric? Well, certainly I think the experience in any competitive environment, you know, winning, losing, and understanding what it takes to, to, to win – and also, when luck goes your way, like this weekend, uh, you know, listening to you guys talk and think about, you know, red light first round, Samarukov spins in the second round and shakes the tire, another red light, and then the car breaks with Scruggs. And I, I don't know how you could get that much luck in one round. We, we always talk about one lucky round. We had four lucky rounds. Pretty much. Hey, listen, you know, I'll, I'll tell you this. I'll, I'll go to my grave always believing that a lot of red lights are due to the fact that it, there is footsteps in that guy's head. So, you know, I do feel sure. I feel like, a, you know, I can't speak for the two you had this weekend. Maybe maybe I can. But I do feel like people don't make that error. People do not do that unless they have some sort of something forcing them to do it. In my mind, not to interrupt. Okay. Yeah, well, I think yeah. I, I think if you think about that from that standpoint, look, Jason is a phenomenal driver. I've often said he's better than me. Uh, you know, he's got a lot more experience. I always do my best. I, I, I tend to get distracted as much as I need to be focused because I'm I've got one eye on, on the business and family yes. and you know, I, I got a lot of stuff going on and sometimes Jason has to hit me in the back of the head and say, Get your head in the game, you know. <laughs> and, and and so I, I would say that Jason has that element on people. There 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 may be some of that factor for sure and everyone's on edge because they want to do their best they can, especially with this points chase. It certainly ups the ante, right? Uh, I would say that our experience, just like anybody else's, will help us. But just our, our, our sheer determination and desire, we're going to do everything we can. We can't affect every outcome, sure. but we're going we're to give it our absolute best. We're going to do everything we possibly can to win this thing. We just got to stay focused and mentally prepared and not get too high and not get too low and just stay consistent and support each other and work hard together like we always do as a team. And I think that will at least help give us that extra advantage. And the chips will fall where they may. You can only do so much, like anything else in life. Well, Eric Gustafson, Jason Lee, thank you guys so much for taking some time today. Very insightful conversation. Uh, love the love to talk about parity. Love to talk about the tech of this class that I, I truly love so much, and the a class that both you guys have had such success in over the years. So, congratulations on the win in Brainerd. You got three races left. All of us are going to be on the edge of our seats, uh, seats watching how this thing plays out. And the next one's the U.S. Nationals, baby. And I'm guessing, Jason, you've maybe been to the U.S. Nationals, tuning on something, but have you ever raced at it in anything? 
I have not. No, this will be the this will be the first time that I'll actually be there as a contestant. I've I've been there as a tuner, you know, several times, and uh, it's uh, it's definitely a great venue. Obviously, a lot of history, and uh, we're looking forward to seeing if we can uh, keep this lucky streak alive. <laughs> and Eric, thank you very much for taking some time out of your schedule as well. Great chat, but Brian. One thing I'll say quick is thank you to you for everything you do for the sport and how much you do promoting. ProMod and everybody in the booth. And I think you've done a phenomenal job raising the level of awareness and providing more excitement to our class specifically. And thank you to you and NHRA for doing that. Oh, you say that to all the announcers. (laughs) Thank you, guys. (laughs) When we come back, I'll have some final thoughts on this episode of the NHRA Insider and get ourselves set up for our indie show next week. Stay with us. All right, so we are back here with some final thoughts on this episode of the NHRA Insider Podcast. It was awesome to talk to Brian Karate. What great uh, insight he gave us, not only into the weekend, but the approach of this team, which I do firmly believe will be top two, top three at the end of the year, perhaps even world champions. They have the ability, the wherewithal, and certainly the experience to be a force over the course of the next seven races, U.S. Nationals, and the six countdown events. It will be the U.S. National Show lead-up next week. We'll have some folks on here to talk about Indy. We'll be getting ready to kind of get ourselves out there. Uh, That'll be earlier in the week than it normally is. I'm heading to the U.S. Nationals on Tuesday, and uh, that means that we will be having the show on Monday. We will be live at the U.S. Nationals. The NHRA Insider Live second-ever episode of that will be happening, and I'll get you details on that as we get closer. Enjoy the weekend off. If you're an NHRA fan, there are races going on all over the country. Huge divisional at Bowling Green, one of the most classic sportsman NHRA Lucas Oil Drag Racing Series events in the nation. A huge lead-up to Indy. Epping has a great regional race. Going to be up there uh, this weekend at New England Dragway. It's going to be fantastic. There's the NMCA race happening in Ohio. There's regional races all around the nation as the whole world of drag racing begins to move their gaze towards Indianapolis for the greatest drag race on the planet. It is going to be great. Thanks to Eric Gustafson. Thanks to Jason Lee and Brian Karate, our guest. We'll be back next week as we get ready for the Dodge Power Brokers U.S. Nationals, the biggest drag race in the world coming up on Labor Day weekend. I'm Brian Loans. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Check us out on NHRA.com and all the breaking news that will be coming leading up to Indy. We'll be back next week.